Are you ready? Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Around the CFL podcast. Anthony here with you again. Week five is in the books. Week six is about to get underway, and we have lots to get to this week. And we are also joined by a very special guest who is with the first ever Indigenous team that will be in the U18 Women's Tournament this year. But first, like I said, let's get to some news. Jeremiah Masoli's first game back in a calendar year lasted less than a half, as the Ottawa Red Black starting quarterback was carried off the field with a lower body injury. Masoli was scrambling to avoid pressure midway through the second quarter of action against the Hamilton Tiger Cats when he went down awkwardly without contact. The 34-year-old was seen clutching his left leg as medical staff arrived and could place no weight on the limb as he was moved to the sidelines. He was immediately rolled out for the remainder of the contest and was caught by TSN cameras with a walking boot on his left foot and crutches heading into halftime. On Monday, it was actually later revealed that it was a ruptured Achilles and he will be done for the rest of the year. This is a heartbreaker for Masoli because of what happened last year and now in the first half of his first game back he is done again. We wish Jeremiah Masoli a speedy recovery and we can't wait to see him back on the field again next season. On Tuesday, the Ottawa Red Blacks had signed American quarterbacks Tyrell Pigrome and Jake Dunaway following that season-ending injury to Masoli. Pigrome was in training camp with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and initially made their roster as a third-string quarterback. He was released late last month, and the club signed Dakota Prukop following his stint in the USFL. The 25-year-old was a preseason sensation in Winnipeg. He rushed for 45 yards against the Edmonton Elks and a leading a touchdown drive against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Pigrome threw for 3,380 yards, 18 touchdowns, and 12 interceptions with Maryland and Western Kentucky. He also ran the ball 281 times for 955 yards and 12 touchdowns. Dunaway was in training camp with the Red Blacks, appearing in the team's final preseason game against the Argos. The 24-year-old Tracy California native only played a handful of series in the fourth quarter, but completed four of his five pass attempts for 28 yards. The main benefit of bringing back the Sacramento State product is that he would already be familiar with Ottawa's playbook and receiving corp. Having some existing chemistry with the team's pass catchers would, wouldn't be a bad thing at all right now. Brock sits at 29 seconds. More pressure from the riders. Cornelius gets it away. Intercepted just outside the 40. A game ender from Marshall as he steps in and now tries to run the clock out. But the riders defense comes up big to seal this thing away. On Thursday, Edmonton Elks traveled out to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders looking for their first win of the season. They were up 11-3 going into the fourth quarter, and in a crazy turn of events, Saskatchewan pulls it off, and they come back and win the game 12-11. 
but there wasn't without controversy, of course, as late in the game, Lowther kicked off an 80 yards and went into the end zone, and for some odd reason, the Elks gave up the single point. So there's another week where that single point comes in to hurt a team, and the Edmonton Elks drop to 0-5 to start the season as they lose 12-11 to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Taylor Cornelius went 17 for 29, 226 with no touchdowns, but again that interception monster strikes again. There really wasn't much offense at all for the Elks throughout the whole game, with Dunbar Jr. being the main man for three catches for 49 yards. On Saskatchewan side, Trevor Harris, who did earn the top uh, player of the week honors this week, went 19 for 29, 262, with a touchdown and, of course, an interception. Jamal Morrow had 11 carries for 52 yards and a touchdown. And the big guy was the newcomer, Mitchell Picton, who had four catches for 79 yards and a touchdown as well. It was really a horrible game for the Edmonton Elks. I don't know what's going on there, but some changes need to happen, and I feel like they need to happen very quickly. Came back, called a great game against Montreal. Stuck to the guns and running the football. Here, got him, got him, he's got him. On Friday Night Football, the Calgary Stampeders travel out to Winnipeg to take on the Blue Bombers. And in this one, it was the Bombers improving to 4-1 in a 24-11 victory. For the Bombers, Zach Caleros had a pretty solid game. 20 for 28, 231, two touchdowns, no interceptions. He looked great again after that loss to BC, coming back last week, winning against Montreal and now easily looking like it's winning against the Calgary Stampeders. Brady Oliveira had 15 carries for 73 yards and McCray had that huge catch. He had only two receptions for the game but 73 yards and a touchdown. For the Calgary Stampeders, Jake Mayer had 14 for 25 with only 122 yards, no TDs and an interception. Diedrich Mills had a really good game in uh, replacing the injured Kadeem Carey, 14 carries for 97 yards and a touchdown for him. Reggie Bagleton was back. He had four catches for 51 yards. And Trey Odoms-Dukes continues to show how good he is. And he had another really good game with five catches for 44 yards. Tyreek McAllister, touchdown Hamilton. 64 yards. Nice little wedding for Tracy and Darrell. <laughs> Tyreek McAllister. They wanted to get this guy in the lineup. I don't think anybody's asking why right now. An explosive playmaker, great addition to the offense. On Saturday, it was the Ottawa Red Blacks and the return of Jeremiah Masoli heading out to Hamilton where Masoli spent a number of years to take on the Tiger Cats. Unfortunately, that return was short-lived as Masoli went down with that ruptured Achilles and the Ottawa Red Blacks did fall to the Hamilton Tiger Cats 21-13. 
for the Ottawa Red Blacks. Dustin Crum came in and he played a really great game. 14 for 21, 149 yards. He did throw two interceptions, but I mean, who isn't throwing interceptions right now? He also had six rushes for 91 yards and a touchdown on the ground. And then, of course, Jalen Acklin had a good game, and so did Justin Hardy. Hardy had seven catches for 58 yards. Acklin had four for 51. On the Hamilton side, friend of the podcast, Matthew Schiltz, went 19 for 26, 233 yards with a touchdown and interception. James Butler was in the game, and he did 17 yards, or 17 carries, sorry, for 62 yards. And McAllister had that huge catch. He went one catch for 64 yards with that big touchdown. Shivers flares out to the left. Adams is going to run to the left. Now he's going to throw. Touchdown! Drops it in there for Javon Katoy. And the big fellow holds it in. BC strikes again. And in the week finale, the Montreal Alouettes traveled out to see the BC Lions in Vancouver, and it was the Lions all over the Alouettes, 35-19. The game started out very scary, because last week, we had Vernon Adams throw six picks, and this game started out no differently, with Vernon Adams rolling out and throwing a pick right off the bat as well. Luckily, it was called back on pass interference, and all was good in the world. For the BC Lions, Vernon Adams did go 20 for 25, 283 with a touchdown, and he did throw an interception eventually later on. And then we saw Sean Shivers enter the game, 14 carries, 63 yards, and he had a touchdown as well. And he had an oops moment where he was not controlling the ball. Kids, remember, always control the ball, where he had the ball punched out right before the goal line, and it was fumbled and then recovered again by the Alouettes. For receiving, Shivers also had two receptions for 73 yards. Keon Hatcher had six catches for 68 yards. Javon Katoy had that big one. He had four for 55 and a touchdown as well. Dominic Rimes was fairly quiet. He only had two catches for 37 yards. On the other side, Cody Fajardo went 24 for 29, 280 yards. Fajardo actually rushed a lot as well. He had eight rushes for 57 yards and a touchdown. And then we also saw Austin Mack be very involved in the game. Eight catches for 72 yards as well. All right, that is it for the week five recap. We'll be right back and we're going to take a look at some power rankings and then be joined by our very special guest. So stick around. All right, we are back and it's time to take a peek at this week's power rankings. For number one spot, again, it's the Toronto Argonauts who remain undefeated. Number two, the BC Lions. Number three is still the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Number four, Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Number five, the Montreal Alouettes. Up one spot to number six is the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Down one spot to number seven is the struggling Calgary Stampeders. Up one spot, the Ottawa Red Blacks come in at number eight. And number nine, of course, is those winless Edmonton Elks. All right, and now it is time to be joined by our very special guest. We are continuing our look at this year's U18 Women's National Championship, which takes place in Ottawa, Ontario from July 23rd to 29th. This week's very special guest, and correct me if I miss anything here, comes to us from Gatineau, Quebec, where she is the founder and head coach of the Capital Rebels senior women's football team. 
head coach of the Gatineau Valkyries, and she was also one of this year's participants in the CFL's Women in Football, where she spent time on the Ottawa Red Blacks coaching staff. On top of all that, though, she is a member of the first ever U18 Women's Indigenous Football Team, which will take part in this year's tournament. Sonia Rohde, welcome. Thank you for having me. Hi. Hi. Awesome. Okay, well, first of all, where did your passion for football come from? Um, I have two sons that play football and, uh, one little thing missing in there is that I also coach, uh, youth boys football. So I coach at the Bantam level at the moment. So I coach, uh, I'm usually, I was a defensive coordinator, uh, for 12 aside football this year. I moved up one level. So I'm a linebackers coach. Wow. So you are so busy in football. (laughs) I am. I love it. It's my passion, right? Awesome. Well, yeah, you got to do what you love. Women's football is growing across Canada and is finally getting more recognition. How is the growth going in Quebec right now? It's not as fast as it is in Ontario, unfortunately. Um, My uh, Valkyries was or is uh, the first uh, girls contact football team in all of Quebec. Um, this year was our first year. We played six aside and uh, it went well, um, but the recruiting wasn't as fruitful as as was hopeful. But we started the team a little late, so we only had one month to recruit. Yeah, but uh, other other girls and other um, associations are now saw that saw the team go and uh, they're interested. And in, I think next year we might have one, two, three or maybe four teams on the Quebec side. Okay. What do you think is slowing down the process in Quebec? I have, I don't know. I, it, it's like contact sports in Quebec period, like even on, on the male side is a little bit slower than on the uh, Ontario side. I don't know what's slowing it down. Uh, maybe it's different uh, interests in sports. Girls are very strong in hockey. A lot of my players were, well, some of my players were hockey players. So they concentrate on hockey and uh, soccer. Uh, otherwise, they're just not aware that there's contact football for, for girls and women. Back in February, you also attended the first annual women's football conference. What was that experience like and how important was that event to take place? That was an awesome experience. Thanks to Emily and uh, Taylor. Uh, It was a great idea. It was it was awesome to see all the faces in person because we've we've uh, either talked on Zoom or by email and all that. So seeing each other all in person was great and to see and to be with all these other women that had the same passion as you and that kind of had the same background well we all had different backgrounds but we all persevered and to to make it through to uh, football to make her you know as pioneers for for the sport that we we love that I love that word pioneer I mean I've been starting to talk about that and trying to add more to our like you know Mount Rushmore of women's football in Canada yeah. Uh, speaking of which, you were selected for this year's Women in Football and you were off to Ottawa. How was the experience once you found out that you were the one chosen? Oh, my God. The experience was the best. Wow. I like 100 percent loved it. As as a coach, it was a thousand percent enriching to to learn from uh, professional coaches. And yeah, I was there uh, with uh, the defensive line. Uh, coach uh, coach Mike Fair 
Um, I was originally supposed to be to do all of the units on the defensive side, but uh, Coach Fair kind of adopted me. So <laughs> I stayed on with the D-line. So I was out there coaching uh, these six foot four, six foot eight huge giants, but it was awesome the uh the speed of the practices to the practice plans i was in i was in all the meetings in the morning we would start at at uh we'd have breakfast with the with the guys at seven and then we'd be on the field at eight and uh then we'd go all all on the field until 11 11 30 then lunch then it would be film we'd watch the film from practice and then we'd go into special teams special teams meetings and then we'd split into our units watch the watch the practice film and then we do installs and we were there until nine nine at night so and it, that was like seven days a week and it was amazing like I I I just when I left I was really sad and I had a hard time uh getting uh, getting back into my day-to-day -day life I can imagine what was the atmosphere like with the Red Blacks in Ottawa, not only for yourself being there, but I mean, it was a fairly new coaching staff. I mean, coach Dice's first year as head coach, what was the atmosphere there? Was everyone super pumped or were, you know, like what, how, what was the feeling? Everybody, like everybody was pumped. Everybody was positive. I mean, I was mostly with, with the defense. So coach, coach miles, the defensive coordinator, he has such a, a great attitude towards football and his players and he's very um prone into giving lots of um positive reinforcement and pushing the guys and so we had a saying on the defense was controlled chaos so the defense is the motto is controlled chaos so when you come in the classroom on defense coach miles will say controlled and everybody would say all the players will repeat chaos and that's how we all sit down and we start listening um, then there was coach, uh, Joaquin for the DB coach, then Pat Bourgon, who's been there for a long time with, uh, he's now a linebackers coach and then coach, uh, fair for, with the D line, um, offensively as well. It's most of them are all American coaches, except for Pat Bourgon, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Pat is from, is, is from Ottawa, but everybody else I think, I think is from the States, but the atmosphere is great. Uh, everybody gets along um and everything is positive they accepted me like I was I was treated as a full-time coach no no different I, I wasn't treated any different from anybody else it was great that's a great thing to hear that you know you walk in the door and you're just like everybody else there what was your biggest takeaway from your time with Ottawa wow my biggest takeaway was so much like I I've been coaching for nine years, but you know, youth, youth leagues and you get there on the big fields with the, with the pros. And the first, first thing I noticed was that everything is fast paced. Right. But uh, how they treat the players was, I think was my, my takeaway. There were players at every, at every meeting coach dice would ask every unit to go up front and talk about themselves, where they're from. And some veterans were, were talking about how Coach Dice was like a father to them. Uh, and he follows them and he helps them. And we also have, I don't know if you're aware, there's also a, some players can go and pray. So uh, before before games and before and after practices, um, the the preacher, I think, what, what, what do they call him? The, um, yeah, it's usually like a pastor and they usually yes, have like a chapel. Pastor, yes. Yeah, yeah. 
So that was that was great. But my my takeaway was how the players are treated like family and sons, and they're not just they're they're not just another number on the list. They're it's it's a big it's a big family, and they're they're very close. Everybody's close. Everybody knows everybody. As we mentioned, uh, the first ever U18 women's Indigenous team will be taking the field very soon. How did this team come about? This team was um, a work uh, put together by a task force uh, of uh, Kevin Hart and uh, Gordon Petruick. So they were, Football Canada developed this diversity task force, if you want, to put together an all-Indigenous team. Um, They went around... um, everywhere through Canada, through Eastern, Western, Northern Canada to, to find uh, girls to put this team together. So uh, these two amazing men forged an alliance and uh, together they, they went and put together this amazing team of 22 girls. And uh, I think uh, we're half a dozen of coaches. It's great to see that it's happening now, but you know, why did it take so long for this task force to get put together to put this on a field? It was hard. Um, the team had to be accepted by the Competition Committee of Football Canada. And then once they were accepted, then they had to get they had a big struggle to get funds. Like it was it was uh, it was touch and go for a while for them to get funds because uh, we're we're going from Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, New Brunswick, everywhere to get to to get these girls together. So it, that was that took a while to to put together and to to make the to make sure to be sure to be positive that we'll have enough coaches and players to make this team. So uh, you mentioned funding. How would listeners? be able to donate or get involved with the program to help support this team, not only for this year, but for upcoming years to make this, you know, an annual thing and make this happen all the time. We have uh, a fundraising out. It's on the uh, Indigenous uh, Football Canada page, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, We, we raise, uh, we have a coffee that was made uh, from, uh, with, well, especially for the team. I think we have we have a brand of coffee there. And also, uh, we, I think we have an entropy site where you can order some of our clothing with uh, the Indigenous Canada uh, logos. And a uh, percentage of that is uh, goes to the team as well. What is your role with the team in 2023? My role is as assistant head coach. I'll be uh, assisting uh, Jill Fast, who is the the head coach of the team. So um, my experience with uh, with everything that I've been doing in football, with all the coaching, uh, I'll be assisting Jill and all the other coaches uh, to uh, to manage this team and to make sure that everything is successful. Was there a province or a couple provinces that produced more athletes once the selection camps began? Yes, there was the Fort McKay Northern Spirits team uh, that has uh, several uh, players on the team and also the Falcons of uh, Winnipeg. Uh, both both these two teams have the most players on the team. Okay. So, yeah. 
how um, were there selection camps across Canada? Like, how did it go to kind of reach? Because it is a national team, right? How did yes. it go so it could kind of reach a broad spectrum of everybody? Yeah, the 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 task force that we had went through uh, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, New Brunswick, and uh, they communicated with uh, the different. Um, uh, nations over there like uh, they're from various first nations and and metis communities so they went through all the communities they there were already some most of those places have already have teams mm -hmm. but uh they went and they did tryouts and they picked the best out of those tryouts and uh in two weeks july 15th they're all arriving in uh in the capital right here and we're gonna have a four-day pre-camp in gatineau with all of these players Oh, I'm so excited. I can't wait for this team to hit the field. What about the coaching staff? Is there a large number of Indigenous coaches as well on the team? Uh, there are. And we are, how many females? We, we're mostly made up of uh, women coaches. Good. So we have Jill, uh, who's from Métis Nation. And Jill, um, Jill played for Team Canada as well as Patty Echo Davis. She is uh, from the St. Vital Mustangs. Patty's going to be the defensive coach, the def a defense coach. Then there's Samantha Big Swallow from the Fort McKay Northern Spirits. She is the offensive coordinator. Uh, Dylan Elias, who is from the Fort McKay Northern Spirits, he is uh, will be the defensive coordinator. Then we have uh, Kathy Calancia uh, from the Falcons. She's going to be on special teams. And we also have some um, five uh, coach mentees who are like under 20 years old that will be helping. They'll be helping us uh, with uh, various roles on the field, like during the camp or off field during the championship. So we have one Alicia from Fort McKay. She'll be helping with the linebackers, especially. I had, we had five four or five girls from Fort McKay come down to Gatineau to play a game with my Valkyries. They're amazing, an amazing group of girls. They play hard and uh, they have an amazing positive attitude. It's great. I can't wait to see these girls. I love this. So not only are you giving, you know, these uh, young ladies a platform to play, but now you're also developing the next group of coaches coming up as well. Yes, we are, because uh, this is a U18 championship. So the girls who are 19 are aging out while they can continue playing with in the WWCFL over there or here in Ontario and uh, Quebec. We have the CCWFL. So anybody 18 and older for these uh, girls, well, turning into women uh, can continue playing. But now these girls can also start coaching as well. Have you guys been doing like Zoom calls and stuff like that? Because I mean, everyone's kind of spread out across Canada, right? So have you guys been yeah. able to like have these like Zoom calls, like class type things to like playbook? We're going to have one this weekend, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we'll have one this weekend and next week until uh, they they come in on the 15th. And then we'll all meet in person for the first time. Is there going to be any part of the jerseys or helmets or uniforms that each athlete can kind of represent their own part of the culture? Uh, most probably the uh, helmets that they'll be keeping from their uh, own teams, their previous teams. Mm. Otherwise, uh, yeah, the uniforms are going to be a little special. I'm not allowed to say anything about that, but uh, <laughs> they're going to be either nice. <laughs> 
No, that's fair. I mean, you can't tell everybody everything. I mean, you got to get people to watch and tune in to see it, right? Right, right. <laughs> that is amazing. Okay. So with the team hitting the national stage, will this open the door for more Indigenous programs, especially for football across Canada? I hope so. And I'm I'm very positive that it will because the coaches helping us out uh, on the coaching staff, the their challenge and their passion is going to be uh, to develop more of these teams, seeing how the interest that we have and how how much this football, the sport of football in the teens, how much it helps the girls. The girls that play football, it helps with their confidence. It helps with everything in their in their day-to-day -day life. And it, they create these amazing bonds. I mean, I I coach both boys and girls and it's very different. Uh, the girls bond so much faster and uh, they help each other out so much more than than boys will do on the field. And they, they stay they stay together on and off the field. It's it's great. I've coached both boys and women's football, too. And I know it's the same thing. Not only are they more attentive during uh, during practice and during installs, but yeah, off the field, they're like they're more of a family than a lot of the boys are. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. Yes. What are you most uh, excited to see or what are you most looking forward to seeing this year in the tournament? I, wow, there's just the tournament itself being having so many uh, girls teams out there, just seeing them all together on, on the field. Uh, that's just going to be uh, an amazing feeling for myself. Like I've been, I, all I want is for, to help girls have access to the sport and to, to succeed in the sport, but not only the sport, as coaches as well, right? So just having, I think we're going to have eight teams of uh, U, U18 uh, female football players out there, 22 players on each team. That's a lot of girls. Yep. And they're still young. So they are the future of female football, right? Yep. So just that, that's a big success. Like making this, this tournament possible is a big success and then just having them play and commune and just communicate all together with with the other teams and to make friendships these friendships that the girls are going to be making and creating they're going to be lasting for for years and years to come i had uh emily todd on not too long ago and we talked about Football Ontario, and we talked about Team Ontario. Justin Tillery was on recently as well. We talked about Team Alberta. I'm going to ask you the same question now. What should the other teams expect to see from this year's Indigenous team? Well, <laughs> <laughs> the Indigenous team, a lot of them have been playing, right, for, for five, five, six years, some of them, right? They're, they're going to be a tough team to, uh, to beat. They're, they're strong. They're, how can I, how can I describe them? They have no fear. They're strong. They're fast and they'll be well coached. It's just that we have to get them to know how to play together, right? They've never, uh, they've never played together. So um, we got to see who's strong. We got to see our strengths and our weaknesses and put the, put the players in the right positions. And uh, yeah, I'm surprised. We'll see how it goes, but um, to expect, a nice, a strong team, for sure, absolutely. And you also have those extra couple of days that you're going to be there to have a mini cam going. So 
sometimes less time is better, right? Because, you know, they don't get complacent or start to get lazy. It's go, go, go. And then you go right into the tournament. Do you think that's actually going to help your team more? I think it will because we'll have pre-camp mostly in the mornings and then we'll have um, we'll have some activities going uh, during uh, later in the day. So we'll have the ladies will have a lot of time to drive and to get to know each other so that once we get on the field, there's not going to be any uh, any surprises. We'll know who each other are and uh, we'll we'll see who plays and who gets along well together. But most they all get along well. And for everyone listening, remember, there is still time to help the team with, you know, funding and other programs as well. Sonia, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Good luck with the tournament this year. And I hope to chat with you again after and hear about how it all went down. Thank you so much for inviting me. And I I really appreciate this. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to see how the tournament turns out. And uh, maybe I'll, I'll talk to you again after the tournament. Sounds great. I look forward to it. Thank you. Thank you again to Sonia Rohde, who joined us to talk about the U18 Women's National Indigenous Team that takes the field here very soon in Ottawa, Ontario. Alright, let's get down to Pick'em. The CFL has a program that is sponsored by Old Dutch, and I've talked about this a couple times. So, my season right now, in through Week 5, is I'm 13-6. and six. Not a great record, not a terrible record, but still, there could be some room for improvement. Anyone who's listening, please go ahead and send me what you're looking at right now, what your record is for the season. I'd love to hear what you guys are doing. And with that, it is time for week six. The week kicks off on Thursday with the Hamilton Tiger Cats traveling out to take on the Edmonton Elks. No surprise here. I'm picking Hamilton to win this one. The Elks still just have not done enough to try to turn the corner yet, and I don't see that corner being turned anytime soon. On Friday, we've got the reigning, defending, Grey Cup champion Toronto Argonauts traveling out to Montreal to take on the Alouettes. And I have Toronto in this one. Montreal just got beaten by the BC Lions, and of course Toronto beat BC. Therefore, my logic is Toronto beats Montreal. On Saturday, the Calgary Stampeders go out to Saskatchewan to take on the Rough Riders, trying to avenge the loss that happened in double overtime not too long ago in Calgary. I am going with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders on this one. Calgary still has too many injuries right now to overcome. They're still working through it, but they still have some things to work through. And finally on Saturday, because it is a doubleheader, there is also the Winnipeg Blue Bombers taking on the Ottawa Red Blacks. Same kind of thing in Ottawa, except for I can't wait to see what Dustin Crum does for his first actual career start in the CFL. I'm still picking Winnipeg to win this one, but it's going to be a good game. I can't wait to see what he does, and hopefully Winnipeg's defense doesn't brutalize him too much. That is it for us this week. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and now Threads as well, around the CFL podcast. And you can find us on all major platforms on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Google, Pandora, iHeart, and any other place you can get your podcast from. If you're enjoying the show, please go ahead and give us a five-star rating. And next week, we will be back with another episode where we are going to show some love to New Brunswick, And we will have head coach Nick Murray joining us from the U18 women's team from New Brunswick. That is it for us this week, and we'll see you later.